Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. This morning we will step further into Paul's instructions to the church regarding their actions and character and behavior. We will see that there is a spiritual progression of transformation that begins with the heart and ends with our behavior, and yet it flows through our minds and our thoughts. Thanks for joining us this morning as we learn transformative living by looking to Jesus as our example. Well, far back as I can remember, uh, growing up meant learning how to walk in my dad's footsteps. This was an easy-to-reach hunting metaphor because as a little kid, I tried to break every stick I could find through the woods. He'd turn around, what are you doing? Here, watch where I put my foot and you step there. It wasn't hard for me to follow because this had been the pattern since I was an infant. Think of it with little babies, right? My, my mom, ah, ah, feeding you as a little baby, as an infant. I can remember in the hallway right between my sister's room and mine learning to tie my shoe and my mom saying, watch me now, watch how it goes like this. I needed Velcro for a couple of years, it's okay, but... I can remember my dad uh, teaching me how to tie a fishing lure. Now, now watch me. And so I'd take a look. I'd watch. This is how to do it. Every little step in life from learning how to shoot a three-pointer to a golf swing, right? Watch me. Watch me and I'll show you what you're to do. We as Christians would be left without the resource of living the Christian life if God did not show us. But he has shown us. Even as Jesus leaves his disciples, he tells them, I'm not leaving you alone. I will send you another helper. The Spirit of God sent from the Father and the Son to you to help you and to do honestly more than just help you. In God's kindness, it is the Spirit of God alive in your life that renews us that gives us a new identity to belong to God's family and provides for you and I an understanding of what it means to change our identity from children of wrath to now being children of God. We are given a new self. I've entitled this message as we're studying uh, chapter 4 in the book of Ephesians, A New Self. And we're going we're gonna to run into those verses this morning. We're going to seek to unpack them. Again, want to just make recognition of uh, Chris's work last week, working through chapter 4, uh, introducing to us the way in which God's unifying efforts of one church, one body, one Lord, one baptism, one God who is over all, in all and through all, is then challenged with the diversity in the church, how the gifts are spread according to God's design, and that as we learn to hold and work together, we form a new body with Jesus as the head, and that That effort, that work of striving together with one another will help us grow to maturity. Um, I I, I know that that was the message that we heard and learned last Sunday. We're we're picking up on the heels of that right now. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to get into your lives today. You ready for that? You ready to have the Lord meddle into your business in church? Because that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is designed to do. And that's going to be the effort of our study this morning. As we read through our passage, we're going to work through the, the, the very end of chapter 4. One of the things that I want to highlight for you to watch for is the, is the sequencing of order for transformation in the Christian life. 
I want to say that again because I want to make sure you don't miss this. There is a sequencing. Step one, step two, step three, right? There is an order by which transformation is designed by God to work out in our lives. And that's what I want you to watch for. We're going to try to unpack it best we can as we get into our text this morning. But Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to begin. Uh, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty long passage, but starting in verse 17. Paul writes, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to his neighbor for all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing (coughs) must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands so that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. All right, this is, this is an amazing passage. Um, one that, like I mentioned already, is going to get involved in your lives. How you treat others. Uh, the expectation that God's going to put for the behavior, the character of the Christian. Because you've got to remember that belonging to the family of God means you are the representative of God on the earth. When people look at you as a Christian, they should see the character of God. And so part of the being, belonging to the family of God means that we have to carry the reputation of God to, to go forward looking like he would look. I appreciated Chris's message last week that he said so many of the commands for how we're to live, they're actually not for you. He said, therefore, missions, they're, they're for how you look to the rest of the world. So that being the backdrop of what we've come into here, I have four main observations that I want to highlight 
um, from Paul's teaching on this text. The first is that when you look at the unbeliever, the problem is their heart. The unregenerate, that means dead in their heart, the unregenerate practice sin from a depraved mind. Do you practice sin? That may be worth thinking about for a moment. You, you, you fall into sin, you'll trip into sin, you'll face temptation with sin. The Christian, however, cannot continue in sin, God's word says, so we're not practicing it. Well, how, how does the non-Christian then practice it? Paul teaches us here. It comes from the scheming and the thinking of a twisted mind. Look with me back in verse 17. He says, I tell you and insist on this in the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles. When he says Gentiles here, he doesn't mean like there's like a separate class of people. His reference here is to unbelievers. Even though it is Gentiles, it is those who are characterized without an understanding of who God is. Because up until this point, the only people who had access to God's revelation were the Jews, not the Gentiles, right? So, so Gentiles here is not looking at a class of people. It's meant that you would understand those who are ignorant to know anything about God's character. He says, don't live like them. And what was the condition that he put upon their life? Look at the very end of it. Um, don't live as they do in the futility of their thinking. That's the problem. They, they, they are trying to twist up and scheme up every little way so that they can continue in sin. Verse 18 says they're darkened in their understanding. Uh, this past week when I went out um, hunting, we got up at 4 a.m. We're out there. I'm headed to a tree stand I've never seen before. Thankfully, the guides, you know what they do? They put little reflectors out there. So as you shine your light, you can find your way to get to the stand. So I'm all fired up, man. I'm going to do awesome, right? And I got my flashlight. I tell them, they're walking me. I'm like, I got this. I know how to follow a reflector. I'm from the UP. Right? No problem. Get out there with my flashlight, head down. They take off. Five seconds later, the flashlight goes out. <laughs> come on. Batteries, come on. Suddenly, all the animals start looking at me. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like the cougars and the wolves and Godzilla. Like they're all out there looking at me. Because my flashlight won't turn on. This is the problem for the unregenerate. They have not had the modeling of like, watch me, look how to do this. God's showing you how to live. They haven't had that. And so what they do as they continue in sin is they justify their sins by a futility of how they think. In their minds, they're darkened. They don't have the Holy Spirit of God to show them how to live. Paul says, that's what you used to be too. You used to live like that. Don't do that anymore. I, I, I insist on this. Don't continue to justify away that behavior as you had been trained and patterned after a thought before you came to know Christ. I wrote this down. I said, when can you indulge in gluttony? You know, like overeating. Well, you know, workday's over on Friday, so you can have, have a little more on a Friday. And then, you know, Saturday, you don't nearly have to show up for work, so you can eat a little more then. Um, vacations, right? Not vacation, after all, right? Let's go out to eat. Did you ever see the portions they give you at some restaurants? It's incredible. Hey, they gave me more. I might as well eat it. Holidays, like Arbor Day, right? Pick a holiday. You can eat. <laughs> What about after 5 o'clock? 
There's a Kenny Chesney song about that, right? It's five o'clock somewhere, right? right? What, what, what will people do? They'll, they'll find a way to justify giving in to the desires of the flesh. When, when's it okay to steal from the company? Well, you know, they, they got too many pens anyways, right? And I, I worked overtime last week and I didn't record it. So it's, yeah, it's kind of do me anyway, right? You, you see how the thinking goes? I, no, no one's going to see. No one's going to know. It's not like it's going to hurt the bottom line. When, when is it safe for sexual immorality? The culture will tell you, with, well, with mutual consent. Right? And, and so what if nobody knows? Well, as long as it's behind the privacy of a door, right? Mind your own business. Or the privacy of a, uh, of a browser. I wonder if you could hold your spot here in Ephesians and turn back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to turn back to Ephesians 4 in a moment. As you're turning there, I want you to just see, hopefully in your own life, how our culture around us, without an understanding of God, is training everyone. From little kids, by the way. Tiny little kids being trained on how to justify their sin. How to live in a way that makes sense of it. Romans chapter 1. Look with me starting towards the end of the, end of the passage in verse 28. Furthermore... Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Do you see knowledge being written there? Right? Has to do with our mind. Has to do with thinking. Everybody with me still? He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Here's how God works. If you want God, he's going to give himself to you. But if you don't want God... God will give you what you want. You don't want him? Okay, well, that's fine. God's not going to force his love upon you. He'll let you go on your own. And you will start to live in a way with your mind being depraved. Finding a way to justify and rationalize every form of wickedness and sin in your life. So continue. It says, verse 29, they've been filled. Like, what, what's the result here of a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done? Verse 29, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil and greed and depravity. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. They're gossips and slanderers and God-haters and insolent and arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless and faithless and heartless and ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but approve of those who practice them. You can turn back to Ephesians. What was the issue? Well, I, I, don't, I don't know God. I don't want God. Even if I couldn't know him, I don't want him. So God says, futility of thinking, depraved mind. And so those who are unregenerate, meaning dead in their hearts, in their spirits, they justify their sin in the way that they think. This is, this is a passage from Jeremiah 17. This gets to the root of the problem. The heart is deceitful above all things. It is beyond cure. Who can understand it? If you look back with me into the, into the text, I want to show you an order of things. I mentioned to you the, the sequencing, right? Look with me in verse 18. They've been darkened in their understanding, separated from... This is the first time we have the definite article mentioned. It's a, it's a Greek marker to show you this is the first point. Separated from what? The life of God. 
So think, just think with me for a moment on that. Like the, the, what Paul is mentioning here is how you live the life of God. All of the blessings and benefits that are visible in how you live. Right? Think, of, think of the most godly Christian that you know of. Think of how they ordered their home. Think of how they got up in the morning. Think of how they said their prayers at night. Right? They had a life that was characterized by knowing God. These, though, they're separated from it. Continue with me. Because, okay, so they're separated, but why? Number two, the, there's our second definite article, because of the ignorance that is in them. Ignorance here, uh, a marker to refer to, the mind, how they think. The, the, their behavior, their life, is a product of how they, are you guys tracking with me on this, right? What, what people do, the visible behavior that you see comes from where? Comes from how they're thinking. Every, every time, or sometimes how they're not thinking, right? <laughs> Dummy, right? You weren't thinking at all. No, that's because I wasn't thinking, right? Ignorance in your mind is displayed in their behavior. But where does that come from? Here's our third part of the sequence. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the, here's the issue, hardening of their hearts. If you wanted to uh, pull a weed in your garden, you can't just... You can't just pull off the leaves of the weed because you know what will happen? It will grow right back. You've you got to go a little bit deeper. And so as Paul is trying to explain this here to the Ephesians and to the churches globally at the circular letter, he gets us right down to the heart. Do you see the main problem? Your behavior, the things that you're doing that are wrong are stemming from your mind that's being sourced from a heart that is hard to God. That's where it starts. And so that's for the unregenerate. The answer of how they continue in sin is that it comes from a depraved mind. Second observation I want to show you here is that the church must teach correct living. The church. The, the, there, are, there are some, and I, I want to defend them because I know how hard it is sometimes to preach truth and really offend people. And sometimes, you know what, it would just be easier to give you a little five-minute doodah and let's go drink coffee. right? Sometimes that would be a lot easier. But you know that's not what we're here for? We are here as God's disciples such that we would learn how to obey. And so where else are you going to find outside of your sweet dear mother telling you, hey, you better stop doing it? No, I love you, Mom. She doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> where else are you going to find the freedom for somebody to speak into your life, to challenge you on how you're to live? It should be the church. The church is designed to teach us how to live. And I want to make sure that you understand this is not just doctrine. This is meddling. This is getting into the business of your life. Look with me into the text in verse 20. He says, however, you didn't come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught. Pay attention to this. You were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. All right, there's a lot packed into that sentence. Let me break it down. The statement there, the truth that is in Jesus is a reference to the gospel. The truth that is in Jesus, that's the message of the good news of the gospel. That's not what they were taught. They were taught in accordance with it. Did everybody see that? Does your Bible have that there? I hope I didn't lose anybody in verse 20. Hopefully you see it. You were taught in accordance with the truth that is in him. So here you have the doctrine of the message of the gospel. And it's the church's job to flow from that. So now here's how you should live. I want to show you another example of this. This is in Titus chapter 2. Same concept here as he's telling Titus how in Crete he's supposed to teach the Christians how to live. This is what Paul says. You, however, must teach what is in accordance 
to sound doctrine. Notice, not teach sound doctrine. Teach what accords to sound doctrine. So let's see. Let's just go through it and see how much doctrine we find in the teaching. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in the faith, and loving in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled and everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Where did you see in there soteriology, martiology, pneumatology? Where did you hear? Was there any doctrine in there? There's no doctrine. What was it? It was all behavior. It was all, this is how you should live your life now. So Paul breaks it down by order of age and sex, right? Men, women, older, younger. Here's how you should live your lives. So it's the church that needs to teach correct living. You and I don't need to have a debate on theology to know how we ought to obey Jesus. Right? When, when, when you had children in your house and, and the younger baby hit her brother, right? did you have a discussion over her about the social evils of power oppression and dynamics? <laughs> Did you talk to her about the consequences of hematoma and blunt force trauma? <laughs> What'd you do? You said, don't hit. We don't hit. That's, that's not how we live here. That's not what we do. We, we don't need to enter into a big theological debate for this. The church, it's the church that must teach us how we are to live with one another. Thirdly, the old self is corrupted by deceitful desires. Just two words that I want to highlight there. Corrupted and deceitful. Do you know what deceit is? It's, it's tricking you. It's making you think something's good when really it's not. And do you know what corruption is? The word here in Greek means um, to ruin, to destroy, to produce decay. And it is your old self, that sin nature, that is being corrupted by lying or deceitful desires. There was one time that in high school, we were, uh, my basketball team was going on a, on a road trip, and we stopped at McDonald's before the game. <laughs> Boy, there's that. What's the problem? Right there. Because little teenage Ryan thought, I, I bet I could eat two Big Macs. I bet I could. So you started on the first one. It's gone before you realize it. I don't know if you know that, but you just inhale it, right? So then I got the second one. And then I had my friends, my buddies, fries over there. And by this point, I've sucked down two big things in so how, how do you think I played that night? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Whew, trying to run up and down the court. Kept getting a side pinch right here. Right? What, what happened to the self? It was corrupted. It didn't work the way it was supposed to. Why? Because I was deceived thinking that which tasted good was actually good. It's not. The, the whole world is like this. In fact, I, I truly believe that there is an evil that goes so suddenly unnoticed in our world. Uh, do you know how... Uh, much the uh, how, how amazing the technology is for a 75-inch flat-screen TV. Do you, do you know the technology? That's amazing. It's amazing what we're able to do. Or or these little phone devices, right? It's amazing. Do you know what companies are basically doing with those devices? They are basically giving them away. They're making it easy for you and I. 
Easy for what? Well, easy for you and I to fall into every form of temptation that would show up on a screen. Everything from materialism and greed, from lust and idolatry. It's basically handed to you. And we think it's good. Hey, I got a really good deal. Black Friday deal, right? You don't even realize what you're doing. You don't even realize the danger that's being presented for you because it appears good, but it's deceitful. And the more that we're, the more that we're ingrained into the flesh, the old nature, the old self, the more we are corrupted in ruin and decay and destruction. So where does that come from? James helps us see this in James chapter 1. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. All right, one last main observation here in this Oh, I don't know if I pulled you back into the text. Look with me here once more in verse 22. He says, uh, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So there it is. That's the old self. Our last observation here is that the new self, this is awesome. This is awesome. The new self is created to be like God. That's the new self. Look with me again, verse 23, to be made new in the spirit of your minds. Now, your Bible might say attitude. My NIV translators, I want to have a bone to pick with them on that. The word is spirit. There's a better reason. I know what they're trying to do by saying attitude. Cross out that word attitude. Write the word spirit in there. It's the spirit of your mind. And we're going to explain why that's so important for us to understand what's going on there. Um, it is, uh, and to put on verse 24, to put on the new self. Wow. The new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I, I don't know how, how this hits you guys, but as I study this, it just like floors me. You, you are created new. You're brand new. God did something brand new in redeeming your heart because you used to be unregenerate. You used to be dead. You used to be justifying through your mind how you could keep sinning. But God changed your heart. He gave you a new heart. He created something new. Why? Look with me in the text. Created, verse 24, to be like God. Now, make sure you don't confuse that. It doesn't say created to be God. That's the problem you have before Jesus. You are your own little rebellious sinful God. Deciding for yourself how to glorify yourself. Now, with a new heart, he changes you so that you can be like the one true living God. In true righteousness and holiness. So what do we, what do we do with this? I have uh, some conclusions for us to work through here. The old self, the problem here is hard-heartedness. That's the problem. If you look back with me in verse 18, he says that the separation and the darkened understanding in the life of God comes from an ignorance that's due to the hardening of their hearts. Uh, this text in verse 19 gives us some indicators. So here's what I like to do for us this morning. I'm going to work through this pretty quickly. Um, I, I want you to just watch and see if any of these show up in your life. Because he gives us a list in verse 19. So what does hard-heartedness look like? Well, number one, callousness. If you look at verse 19, it says, having lost all sensitivity. Do you ever get calluses from working hard on your hands, right? It means that you don't feel things there like you used to anymore. Playing guitar, right? That, that's one way you form calluses. You press on the strings. 
doesn't hurt as bad. Well, what does that look like for a hard-hearted sinner? Well, this is the person who, when it comes to moral righteousness, just says, so what? Hey, man, I don't know if you should be doing that. Who cares? Who cares? It doesn't matter. not going to hurt anybody. No one knows. If you have ever had that futility in your thinking, that little word of justification, like, so what? It doesn't matter. Do you want to know where that comes from? That comes from the old self. That comes from a hard heart. Second characteristic here is forfeiture. It's forfeiting your effort to stand. Look in verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over. Are you just giving up? Just giving in. Uh, there was an experiment <coughs> that was done with, ever see this? I wish I'd show you the video. L- little kids with a marshmallow on a table. You guys know the one? Some of you have seen this, right? They set a marshmallow in front of a table for a little kid. They tell him, you can eat it now, or if you wait five minutes, I'll come back and I'll give you two. And then they leave and they videotape that poor little kid in this torture chamber. <laughs> just, oh, I just want to have, and if you, you ever had that moment in your life where you have temptation, right? You just, I know it's there and I don't, I shouldn't, I don't need to. And that little voice on your shoulder says, man, you know you're going to give in anyways. You might as well. You might as well. That's the, that, you, might, you might as well give in. They, they've given themselves over. Why? Because I'm going to give in anyway. So what do I care? doesn't matter. Callousness. Forfeiture. Thirdly, uh, sensuality. I, I could spend a whole other message just dealing with how the scripture unpacks the concept of the creatureliness of our depravity. The Bible will call us brute beasts, just pursuing whatever your senses see. And that's exactly what we see here. They've given themselves over to sensuality. Well, what does that look like in, in the mind? Well, well, if it feels good, how do you finish that sentence? Do it. Do it. All right? that, that's what the culture is going to tell you. That, that um, rationalization for moral unrighteousness is justified if you like it. Does it feel good? Is that, is that what you want? Is that your authentic self? Is that who you are? Is that what you enjoy? Well, then go ahead and do it. You're free to do it. That's just giving into sensuality. Fourthly, uh, I, I wanted to put up hedonism here, but pleasure-seeking. Um, it says <coughs> in the in NIV, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. Well, th- this is the person who's always looking for the next fix, that new, whoa, what are the kids doing today? What's the new exciting thing? Always looking for more to try. And the final characteristic here is selfish greed it comes at the end of verse 19 it says with a continual lust for more uh this says uh well more for me colossians 3 says put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality impurity lust evil desires and greed which is idolatry because of these the wrath of god is coming you used to walk in these ways in the way you once lived but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. At some level, all of us are able to see how that's that little inner old self at work. So, the second half of this is the new self. What what, what does Paul give us? What's the example that we have? And it's a spirit-mindedness. If you look with me back into the text, the key verse is verse 23. You are to be made new in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I want to give you five quick examples for what this spirit-mindedness does. Number one, it's transforming in our lives. 
One commentator says that only the Spirit of God can ultimately change our lives. As the Spirit of God quickens the human spirit, then believers are renewed by that Spirit which is in the mind. You'll see this best of all in Romans 12, verse 2. Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. A spirit-mindedness, meaning that your mind, how you're thinking about what you do, is no longer going to be informed by what the culture around you says, this is how you should think. It's the Spirit of God having, having given reanimation to your spirit, the redeemed heart. It's that Spirit that will now teach you how to think and transform you. Secondly, it's identity shaping. Well, it, clearly, if you look back in the text, it says here in verse 24, put on the new self. This was previously mentioned over in chapter 2 when he talked about taking the two groups, the Jew and the Gentile, and making them into one new man. That's the same language that's being used here. What I want you to know is in that instance, there is no longer the rationalization in the church to have two groups. Hopefully we've been over this, right? You know from Ephesians, there's only one group anymore. There's one family. That's who you are. I want you to know that's exactly one of the outflows, the implications of being spirit-minded, is it now shapes who you are. That's who I, I, I'm a child of God. I have a new identity. I put on a new self. Thirdly, it is relationally maintained. If you look further into our chapter here, you can see, if you look at verse 30, The command is given, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, We should probably spend a little more time on this than we have, but um, I feel like as Christians, we read over that without understanding it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't even know what that means. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Look up the word grieve. Do you know what it means? To make someone feel bad. To, to To make someone sad. Well, if a stranger on the street says something to you, what do I care? It's a stranger, right? Who are the people that can hurt you? People who are close to you, right? That's, ex- that's exactly the concept here. Continuing in spirit-mindedness happens because the Spirit of God is relationally connected to you. And you can grieve the Holy Spirit when the Spirit of God is telling you, I don't think you should be doing that. And you're like, la, 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 la. I mean, if, if your kids did that, if your spouse did that, you'd be like, that really hurt. Like, that really hurt. I was trying to tell you something that was going to help you. And you were just ignoring me on purpose. That's what to grieve the Holy Spirit means. And so here I want you to know spirit-mindedness, it's relationally maintained. Just like your relationships with your family would be relationally maintained. How much time do you spend with God there? Fourthly, uh, it is strategic in spiritual warfare. Having a spirit-informed mind Thinking according to God's mind to approve what his will and his purpose are. Do you know where that's really going to help you? It's going to help you with spiritual warfare. Look a little higher up in the text. You'll see in verse 27, the command says, do not give the devil a foothold. This word foothold is a military term. It means an advance on the territory such that now the enemy is closer to the capital. That's That's what a foothold is. The Bible says don't give the devil any yardage. Don't give the devil any opportunity to gain ground into your life. And how do you do that? Well, by being spirit-minded in how I think. That is going to be my number one resource 
to equip my life to do battle in the war against evil. And fifthly, lastly, it is virtue producing. Look with me at the end of verse 24. It says, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is where the fruit of the spirit shows up. When when you begin to live spirit minded, it's effective. It actually grows Christ likeness out of your life. So we're wrapping up here. Everybody get where we're at on these conclusions. You got two things opposed to one another. The, the old self and the new self. The old self is hard-hearted. It's, it, it's manifest in all these little justifications in your, in your mind for why it's okay for you to sin. The new self is gained through a spirit-mindedness in how we think. Those, those are our two conclusions for this text. So what do we do with this? Well, I, I want us to pay attention again to this sequence. Number one, you need a new heart. That's where it starts. To the unregenerate person, they will continue to appeal to the futility of thinking. Why? Because they are dead in their sins. And so the first thing that you need is a new heart. Now, I'm hoping today, if we just took a poll across the congregation, everybody checks the box, 100%, I'm there. My heart belongs to King Jesus. I worship him. But I don't know if that's the case for everybody. I don't know, maybe you've come to church for years and years and you still are wanting to rule your own life and not let King Jesus rule. You know the gospel. You believe. You heard it from Chris yesterday. You repent. And then you trust God. And he'll give you a new heart. This from Ezekiel. This is a beautiful passage. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove your heart of stone, that hard-heartedness. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I'll give you all. A heart of flesh. So step number one is um, you need a new heart. Step number two uh, it has to do with our heads. You need to change how you think. Th- this is one of the r- repetitive commands in the New Testament when it comes to Christian discipleship. You need to change your thinking. If you look back with me in the text in verse 20, you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Verse 22, you were taught in regard to your former way of life. What, what is teaching trying to influence? I didn't lose you guys this way. Are you with me still? How you think. It's how you think. That's what needs to change. I guarantee some of us here today need a helping dose of this. I really need to change how I think. You know, my, my family screwed me up growing up. I'm not saying you. I'm just saying you know, rhetorically. <laughs> rhetorically speaking, it's possible that your family really goofed up how you think. Or maybe it was public school. Maybe it was the friends. Maybe it was the neighbors and their values. Whatever it was, all of us are working through a pattern of stopping futility of thinking and and changing our understanding of this. I wrote down, uh, your desires will deceive you. That's important to remember. Your desires, they will deceive you and that you are remade to reflect the character of God. So how should I think? Here it is. You ready? You think, I'm a child of God. That's what I need to think. I have been given his spirit to change how I think so that I will be like God. Do you know why my dad spent so much time to help me know know how to hit a baseball? Because, yeah, he wants his kid to hit his baseball. He wants his kid to look like him. Why did my dad teach me the difference between a crescent wrench and a ratchet? I still got to work on that sometime. He wants me to learn to be like him. 
His values that He wants to pass on to me. You are my child, and so I'm going to model for you how to live. Because that's who you are. That is your identity. You, Christian, today need to remind yourself of this. You are a child of God, given His Spirit, so that you look like God in true righteousness and holiness. If you wanted to see this in Scripture, it's all over. i got a list of them here. Matthew 5, 28. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Who's the model? The Father. i, I got a little word you're going to see underlined and repeated in all these. Luke 6, 36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Romans 15, 17. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Ephesians 5, 2. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved you. Colossians 3, 13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 1 Peter 1, 16. Be holy as he is holy. 1 John 1, verse 7. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Do you see? Do you see? You're, you're being, it's being modeled for you. This is how you should look. Because you belong to me. That's how you should live. And we need to work on that and the change of our thinking. So heart, step one. Head, step two. Thirdly, our hands. So you need to change how you live. Some, some of us here today still have residual leftover vestiges of sin in our lives. Habits, patterns in our lives. We need to change those. Now, and just for time, I'm not going to, I don't have time to go through it all, but I want you to know starting verse 25 all the way to the end of the chapter, that's where the, he sinks his teeth in on how you live. I have it written in your sermon notes for you, and I'm just going to put it all up here all at once. Um, when it comes to your hands, you need to change how you live. You either need to put off something or put on something. And so he gives us categories, right? He says you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. That has to do with what you believe. Stop lying. How many of you are loving all the political commercials on every single channel? All lies. It's a whole other message. We'll talk about it next week a little bit. <laughs> Then, and then he says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. What's that mean you need to do? Well, you've got to deal with the issue. You've got to deal with it then. So put off anger. Put on conflict resolution. Go and deal with it, man. If you, if you can't lay your head on the pillow without feeling like, all right, I got that resolved, right? You need to learn how to put on a new mind of thinking. He continues on. If you've been stealing, don't steal anymore. You need to work. Why? So that you've got something useful to give to other people. So take off selfishness. This is a question of what you have. Take off selfishness. Put on generosity. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. This is what you're speaking. But only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit them. That's it's encouragement. Lastly, he's got this big section in verse 31. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. When was the last time you used the word malice in a sentence? I had to look that one up. What, what is malice? You know what it is? It's ill will. It's when you're like, I hope that person... You know what? You, know that, like you have that little bad attitude towards somebody? That's malice. You know what it leads to? Everything listed there. Anger, and rage, and slander, and brawling. Get rid of ill will. That's toxic to your life. It's poison in your life. And what should you put on though? This is the tough one. Verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Watch for the word as. Forgiving each other just as 
In Christ, God forgave you. Just need to learn to forgive. Boy, wouldn't it be great if we had a model, someone to show us what it looks like to forgive? While they're nailing the nails, the spikes, into his hands and feet, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is an impossibility for people like us. That's why God gives us his spirit. And so I want to end by, as I was working through that, like, those are great. Those steps are awesome. But come on, how, how, how do you do this? Here's how. You look at Jesus. And so as I finish this morning, glance into the text one last time. The beginning of chapter five, look at the command. What does it say? Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Church, you belong to the family of God. My dad, my mom, they said, watch me. This is how you tie your shoes. Watch me. This is, this is how you swing a golf club. Watch me. This is how you tie a lure. So how, you, how do you and I now change to look like our Heavenly Father? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Imitate Jesus as dearly loved children. Amen? Amen. Let's pray today.